Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Good. Um, Renee, you got a, did you get a text from Joaquin this morning? He says hello. He wasn't here last week or, um, or this week. He's in Calgary, Canada, doing some ministry up there. And uh, I, I think he misses us, so <laughs> I know he does. Can we pray for Joaquin right now? All right, just lift your hands to the Lord and just let's just bless him. Lord, we just pray for Joaquin in Calgary right now for breakout in, in the ministry that he is doing up there. God, we ask for an increase and a magnification of your power to come out of him and the team that is ministering in Jesus' name, amen. You know, they need fire up in Calgary, right? I mean, it's cold up there. Amen, well... <clears throat> We got any Texas Ranger fans in here? I feel like I just got, all right. That's better than I thought it would be. You know, Austin's kind of weird that way. There's not as many sports fans as the rest of Texas in Austin. Like y'all, like y'all are like, I, I don't care about sports. But yeah, World Series champions, in case you have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys plays the Eagles today, so that's important. I just think you guys need to know about that, right? I love the Dallas Cowboys. And well... Let's just say the Eagles, they're kind of like the arch enemy of the Cowboys. So this is a big day today. We, we've got to vanquish them. And if, if the Cowboys lose, just pray for me. I'll be in some pain at about six o'clock today. All right. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. As we were worshiping, I, I just <clears throat> was just thinking how much I love him. He... He is worthy to be worshiped. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of everything that we have. Amen. If he never did another miracle, if he never, if he never answered another prayer, he would still be worthy because of who he is. Amen. And so just let your heart this morning uh, begin to be filled um, as we go into the word just let your heart be filled with what God wants to speak to you this morning about worship. You know, a few weeks back, I preached a message called The Three Hideous Truths That Grace Defeats. I know that's a dramatic title, right? It got a little crazy there. <laughs> but uh, you, you can get that on YouTube and our podcast. But <clears throat> essentially... That, in that me message, it talks about in Ephesians 2 that, that we were dead, that we were slaves, and that we were condemned to wrath. And, and um, it talks in that, that same passage that we once walked according to the course of this world and that we followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we were captive to these three forces. And I think it's important to understand that we were captive, but we also need to understand that people who do not know Jesus are currently captive to these three forces. The course of this world. And when you think about the course of this world, that is the diabolical pattern of thinking uh, that is opposed to God or the value system that is devoid of God. And it's this way of thinking, this value system that, that dominates society. You could think of it as a, a darkened thinking, uh, thinking that was darkened by, by the fall. And the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, and he creates this murky atmosphere um, in, in the world, this darkness. I don't know if you've ever felt that before where you can feel like, Man, something, there's an atmosphere that's happening that, that doesn't feel right. Well, that's that murky atmosphere. You know, I'll never forget when I went to New York, Stacy and I, when we moved to New York City, we used to go there. And you know, when you, when you visit somewhere, sometimes you don't always spiritually perceive what's happening or what's going on the same way than if you put your feet down somewhere. When you put your feet down somewhere, you begin to realize there's an atmosphere often of darkness. In that particular city, 
where all these different gods are worshiped openly and intensely um, and all these different cultures that I love the cultures, but there was this murky atmosphere. And I realized when, when, when we moved there, there were some days I thought I was going crazy. Like I could hear voices like cursing at me, like leave, get out. And I, and I never experienced that anywhere, but it was because there was this darkness that was over the city. Now the reality is we have authority over that and we don't have to listen to it, but there's times that we do experience this murky atmosphere of the prince of the power of the air. And then the other thing is the passions of the flesh. I'm just reviewing a little bit here and then we'll get where I'm going. But the passions of the flesh, and that's that self-centered human nature. It's the wants or the desires of the body and the mind. And so it's important to understand that there, yes, there's an atmosphere. Yes, there's a course of this world, but we also have responsibility in that we were controlled by the passions of our own flesh. And so we were without excuse. We can't just say, oh, it's, it's this atmosphere that created this spiritual dynamic that kept me in darkness. No, we were those that were wanting the passions of the flesh. But the good news is, we, that is no longer who we are. Amen? And we, but we, so that's not who we are, but we need to understand that the prince of the power of the air is constructed a system of belief and values, that course of this world that appeals to the passions of the flesh. So these three, three things are operating together to keep people in slavery, to keep people in bondage. And any one of those is really powerful on its own, but altogether those things are weaving something that people are, are in this place of slavery that they can't escape on their own. Amen? I mean, we... Look, we had no ability in ourselves to get off the, that course. No ability at all. Jesus stepped in and he freed us. And we had, we, respond, we had to respond to that, but the reality is he is the one that freed us. I had no ability to free myself. I had no ability in myself to even realize I was sitting in darkness until Jesus' light came and I realized I am in darkness and I need a savior. Amen? And so Jesus stepped in and freed us, but there's something that we do need to understand um, is that even though we are on this different course, we are on this heavenly course, that's where we're headed, amen? Our value system, our belief system is no longer the course of this world, but it is a heavenly belief system and a heavenly value system. And we don't get to make up that. We, we get to experience the culture of heaven and who God is and embrace it. We don't get to create our own value system or our own culture. It is only, it is God that creates that. And there's really only two. There's the course of this world or is there, there's the course of heaven. That, those are the only two value systems in this world. And so we're either here or we're here. And um, the reality is though that we can still be influenced and we've got, we've got to understand this. Even though we're on a different course, we can be influenced by the course of this world. We can be influenced by the passions of the flesh. We can listen to the prince of the power of the air. We can get in a place of despair. We can get in all these different things if, if we begin to listen to what he would, what he would say. And, but we do have a choice. I want you to hear this. We do have the power not to allow those things to shape and form our life. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean we don't get into battles at times, but we have the power in that battle to crush the enemy because he's already actually been defeated. You know, there's been times where I could feel a murky atmosphere and I don't know if you ever felt this. I'm like, I feel depressed right now and I really don't know why. There's no circumstance that I can point to that would make me feel this way. Well, what is that? That's the murky atmosphere of Satan. Well, you know what I can do in that moment? I can put on praise and I can begin to worship and I can push that atmosphere back. Amen. So we do have power and control over it, but we have to understand it is there and we can be influenced by it. And the enemy is looking to entrap us and he's looking to, to create havoc and create chaos around us in a way that keeps us from, from where God wants us to be. Amen. All right, so we're gonna look in Romans 12, get into what I'm actually gonna say. 
Romans 12. And if you're turning your Bibles, you can go to verse one. But I want to talk a little bit about Romans. So I'm, uh, I'm kind of deep diving 1 Corinthians right now. We're going to do a class on it in the spring. So you'll want to look out for that. And, um, but I'm also simultaneously in, uh, deep diving into Romans. I just felt from the Lord, like, I can't wait till the, we get done with Corinthians. I've got to get into Romans right now. And, you know, Romans, um, the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans was written, he wrote that from Corinth in about 57 to 58 AD. So um, he had never actually met them yet. He hadn't visited them. I don't think Paul actually visited them until he was taken there as a prisoner, but he wrote to them. So he was known in Rome and uh, wrote them this incredible book. And um, Rome was a, an interesting place, right? It was, there's about a million pe- people in the city of Rome. The Romans were very much a warrior warring culture. I mean, they, they didn't, um, they just took what they wanted, right? So they would invade, they would take more. That, that's how their empire grew. And so they were a warring culture and Rome was the, the capital of that their empire. And I don't think we have anything in the world today that would equate to what Rome was. I mean, you could think of it as New York City, LA, Washington, DC, London, Paris, all these major cities kind of combined. It truly was the world's capital. Better than every culture. So when they would go into places, they would allow different religions and things to exist, but they were, they were taking their culture of that Roman culture into those, those different places. And we know that Paul was actually a citizen of Rome. That was a highly valued thing. And, um, and at this time that Paul wrote this, Rome was in relative peace and Christians weren't widely being persecuted yet. You know, Renee talked about praying for our leaders a minute ago and there was kind of a pause in the room. Do you know that the, the leaders during this time, uh, Nero was the leader. Putting Christian, Later, he would put Christians in the Colosseum to be torn apart by lions and killed different ways. He's the one that had Paul, it's believed to be uh, beheaded And so these were the leaders. So when that book was written and it said, pray for your leaders, I think we can pray for our leaders, right? With all their faults, they're not putting us in Colosseums to be be killed right now. And so I think it's important to pray for our leaders, whether they're bad or whether they're good, and pray that they would have an encounter with God that they would have an encounter with the culture of heaven because leaders sometimes are under the course of this world, the passions of the flesh, the prince of the power of the air, and that's where they're making their decisions from. So the only thing that's gonna stop that is that they need an encounter from God, amen? And so Nero would later, uh, he was 16 years old about this time, but it wasn't long, it was maybe like seven or eight years later, that that persecution started, heavy persecution towards Christians. They were actually blamed for the fires that happened in Rome that were to cover up uh, Nero's shortcomings. So he began to actually persecute Christians and blame them and and have them killed all kinds of ways. And so it's important to understand that. Now the church at Rome, it was a very established church. It was well known. Obviously it's location, it's in the capital of the world at that time. It was believed to be a a, a rather large church. In the letter, I think Paul greets over 27 different leaders in in, in Romans, and and he speaks about five different house churches. And so it wasn't just one house church. There were multiple locations that were happening in Rome. And the purpose of this letter, what he gives us in this letter, our richest, really our richest doctrine on the subject of salvation. So I think it's a really good book to study. F.G. Campbell Morgan said this, the most pessimistic page of literature about Romans, the most pessimistic page of literature upon which your eyes ever rested, and at the same time, the most optimistic poem to which your ears have ever listened. I think that's a good description of the book of Romans. Frederick Goddard, uh, a a Swiss theologian, said that Romans was the cathedral of our Christian faith. And so it's an important book to understand. And we're gonna look in verse one of chapter 12. Sound good? All right, let's go. 
We ready? You know, I love God's word. I truly love his, it. I'm not saying this to like be over spiritual, but I have trouble actually reading other books. Uh, I, unless they're talking specifically like deeply about the word and then I like to read them. But my time, like I love to get in the word. It, it speaks to me and it's so powerful and we learn and it's really important that you learn where the culture of heaven comes from and what it actually is. The word grounds us into the things of God. And so it's so, so important, and I love it. And Romans is a powerful book. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're going to come back to verse 1 in a little bit, but I want to begin to break down this and I want to start in verse 2. And I'm sure most of you are familiar if you've been around for very long in church, you're probably familiar with this. If you haven't, this will be new to you, but either way um, God's going to speak to you this morning. So the first thing that we're told, and and let's let me re- let's recognize something there. He's speaking to the believers here. He's not actually speaking uh, to people who don't don't know Jesus. And he says, "Don't be conformed to this world." And the word "conformed" is is we all know what it is, but it's to be think of it as being molded, or think of the word "fashioned." So it's being fashioned um, to this to this world. And when we think of the world, we can go back to what I was talking about earlier, the, the course of this world, which is that diabolical pattern of thinking and a value system devoid of God. So don't be conformed to that pattern of thinking and value system that's devoid of God is what this is saying. And I said it earlier, but we're no longer dead. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer condemned, but we can be influenced by the course of this world. It is possible to influence. Otherwise, Paul would not have told them, hey, don't be conformed to this. Don't be conformed. And he goes on to say what they should do next. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so transform comes from the, a word that is where we get our word metamorphosis. Ooh, I said that right. Awesome. I think Joaquin had a great message on this at one time. I don't remember the title of it, or I tell you, you should go back and listen to it. But he had a great uh, word. I believe it was him on this. And so that's, that's that idea of a caterpillar that's this and then changes to something completely different, into a butterfly. And so he's saying, be transformed into something completely different. It's completely different. And, and be renewed. And so what's renew? Renew means to make fresh or new. So be transformed, be changed into something completely different, uh, something new um, by the renewal of your mind. And so your mind getting renewed brings something fresh and new and it makes you different. And I believe that this is something that we can experience every day. Now, I know I have a different DNA. I I am a new creation, but as a new creation, I am constantly growing and constantly being changed. Amen? I have been changed. Jesus lives inside of me, but at the same time, I am being changed. I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. So God is constantly working on us, and he's taking, he's renewing our minds away from that old pattern. So even though my heart has been renewed, my mind has to really catch up to what's happened inside of me as I've experienced Jesus. And so there are patterns of thinking that, um, that God is renewing and changing. And I'm in my 50s, and I still find there are things that God is renewing and changing every day. And I've walked with God for a long time, but he's still changing some of my old patterns of thinking, or as the course of this world is constantly around us and pushing against us, God is changing us to think more like him. Amen? So I've been changed, and I'm being changed. And I want to say this, there's no neutral ground in this world. There's no neutral ground in this world. There, you know, 
you are either being conformed or you're being transformed. There's no such thing as a passive place. As a Christian, you can't just get in like this place. Not, you know, I'm just going to hang out here. It's kind of comfortable. If you do that, you will, be, you will begin to be conformed to the pattern of thinking that's in this world. Amen? Or if you allow those voices or those things or how you spend your time, it's going to begin to conform you into something uh, that looks like the world instead of being transformed and being the new creation that you are. Amen? And so... It goes on. Let's keep going here. So, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. And the will here, when you, when you look at that word, that means course of action. That's God's course of action. And so it's saying, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, that you may discern what God's course of action is for your life. So if you're like, I don't know the will of God, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, then you need to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Amen? Get into worship, get in the word, get into prayer, get your mind renewed, and then it, you won't have to fight for it. it, you'll know it. Amen? You'll know God's course of action for your life, for your family, for, you know, whatever you're involved in, you're going to know the right course of action as you get into his will. And it talks about that his will or his course of action, it keeps going. He says, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God's will, his course of action is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's not like the prince of the power of the heir's course of action, which is destructive and bad and evil. It is very different. And so that's God's course of action. And so as we step, as we are renewed, we step into this place of clarity and purity in our thinking, and it actually changes, I want you to hear this, our course of action. It changes our behavior. One thing you'll notice when Paul wrote letters, he would talk about these high spiritual truths, but he would always come back to the practical, hey, here's how you have to live as believers. As followers of Jesus, you can't live this way. You should not live this way. You need to live this way, and this has to be worked out in your life. Amen? Look, you can go to church but not live for Jesus. You can go to church but just live your own life, and that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. All right. So we want our behavior to what? Align with God. And uh, my wife could probably tell you, my behavior doesn't always align with God. <laughs> probably your spouse could tell you that too, or your friends, right? I occasionally don't, no. I occasionally have a bad attitude, right? Uh, I tell you what, a lot of my behavior aligns with God, but there are still things that need to align, Amen. All right, I better just stay away from that. So let me just summarize that. Being transformed or made new in your mind brings you into an understanding of God's good, acceptable, and perfect will, his course of action. So how many want to be in that place of God's good, acceptable, and perfect course of action? I mean perfect, like it hits the mark. Your life hits the mark. You know exactly, you, you, you have this, there's nothing like being in that place where you know that God's got you. Look, even if, you, even if there's some things that are hard, when you know that you are in his will, when you know that you're in his course of action, you can stand when stuff comes against you. Amen? And I, I sense that there's some of you in here that you're standing you, and you just need a confidence to know that you are in God's in his place, that you are in his will, and then you will be able to stand against whatever comes. Amen, and take authority over it. All right, can we keep going? All right, so Romans 12, 3. Uh, this, we're gonna start getting into this part of it, and uh, we're gonna do three, then I'm gonna skip to nine. And you're gonna begin to see what Paul gives us some things that are courses of action, things that we walk out in this transformation that we are in as we are being renewed. And 
I'm just going to read three, and then we're going to skip to nine. But it says, for by grace to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I want you to, we're going to bookmark that, and we'll come back to it. We're going to skip down to verse nine. It says this, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And you could keep going on with that, but those are powerful things, amen? So Paul, he, he, he talks about being renewed, and, and guys, this is why it's important, like, don't just pick one verse out. Like, look, what, look at the verses around it. If you want to understand it, you got to understand the context of it, right? Or you'll miss, it's not that that one verse does, is not truth, but you're going to miss maybe something greater that God will speak to you because you don't understand the context or the whole thing that he was talking about. So when he's talking about getting their minds renewed, he then gives them some ways that they should be walking in this renewal process. You could say these things are like, they could even be a gauge of where, you're, where you are in process. And so if you're not operating like you should in one of these things, well, let your mind keep getting renewed so that you will. Amen? First thing he says is genuine love. And I would, I would submit this to you, that genuine love is love without expectation of return. There's, the world has a... The world has a, a, a term for lo- love or a definition of love that would be very different than God's definition. And so <clears throat> it's more what you can get. But I would say that the world's version of love probably more reflects lust instead of love. It's what you can take as opposed to what you can give. That's what's per- uh, sh- in all our shows and TV, everything, movies. That The type of love is is what you can get typically. And so... But love has no expectation of return. And you could gauge your measure of genuine love by, if, are you able to love people who don't have anything that you want? Are you able to love someone that has nothing to give you? Are you able to love someone that's really difficult or that you perceive as very difficult? Maybe you're the one that's difficult. I don't know, right? I don't know. I found that difficult people think that the other person is the difficult person. Yeah, anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, have, I don't know if you've been in a conversation like that where you're like, the very thing that you're saying about me is actually <laughs> you. So anyway, I, not that you don't, I've, ha- I've experienced this. I'm like, what? This is actually you. Like, I don't know. Like, your world is so dominated by that thing inside of you that you see everyone else's anyway that's just let's don't go there look if it's me I'm willing to repent totally but genuine love we need to have not just love but genuine love genuine care for each other and, I, and he puts it right here at the beginning and then we're to abhor evil do you abhor evil enough I'm not and I'm not talking about people but we, we abhor the evil that influences people and destroys people and destroys lives. We should abhor it. We should, it, it should make us cringe. And look, a lot of things that are evil, that are evil are seductive. But it should make us go, no, I, no, I, I abhor that. God does not, God hates that. I, that. That is destructive. I don't want that. And so we need to abhor evil. So if our mind's being renewed, there'll be things that we used to do that we now don't do. There'll be things as your mind get renewed that you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't want that anymore. I don't need that. And you know, we have like our top 10 list of sins. There are a lot of little things that are evil or that we call little, that are destructive, that keep us from our full potential in God. And we need to go, you know what? I don't want that. I abhor that. Because that takes me away from God. It says then hold fast to what is good. And so holding fast, when you look up that word, it means to cleave or be joined. It's the same word 
um, from Matthew 19, 5, when, when it talks about man leaving father and mother and being joined to a wife. And so we are to be cleaved or joined to good. We abhor evil, and we need to be cleaved or joined with good. So, so we, don't just, um, we don't just agree with good. We get immersed in good. We join ourselves to good. We cleave to good and push away from evil. Can I get an amen? All right. And then it goes on. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. And so that, that speaks to actually showing love, affection. So we should show affection in some way to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so we are to love and show love, not just, you know, we talk about love, but do we show love? Do, you know, if, if our minds are being renewed, I, look, I know we're busy, but if our minds are being renewed, we're going to stop and we're going to love people. I think I, I still need some work in that area sometimes. I get really busy and I get really going, and sometimes you just don't stop, but it's important. I think as I get older and as I get more renewed, I realize the importance of actually taking a moment and, and showing someone in some way, even small way, love. Amen? And I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Culture of honor. So outdo the other person. If you're going to compete, this is where you need to compete. Anybody competitive here? I know Renee is. Yeah. If you ever play a game with Renee, she will try to destroy you. Like it's my daughter's like that too. We spend Christmas being destroyed by my daughter in every game that she plays. And the problem is she just enjoys it way too much, it feels like. Do you have anybody like that in your life? I think sometimes she lets us win, you know, so we'll keep playing. But, but anyway, outdo one another in showing honor. We are to show honor. Let me say it this way. Don't just show honor to your leaders. Amen. Sometimes we show honor to people, again, to, to leaders or people, different people that we respect in some way. So we'll, we'll show honor. But do we show honor to the person sitting next to us? It's really, really important that we out, and we should outdo each other. Oh, you show me honor? Watch this. <laughs> I'm going to honor you more. And then they're going to go, you know what? I'm going to honor you more. Could you imagine what would happen if we started honoring each other? Like if we had an honoring competition and we had a bake-off, let's do, let's do that. We'll get prizes and everything, I, you know, right? Let's be a culture of honor to each other. And let's honor our city and let's honor everyone that around us. Honor people at your workplace. See how it affects those relationships. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Honor honor people that might even dishonor you. Mm. That person at your job, maybe your maybe your boss dishonoring to you. You feel honor them. See what God does. All right. I can honor someone and not necessarily agree with them. I think on the political spectrum, we don't, there's no honor anymore. It's ripping the fabric of our country in some ways because there's no honor. What if as believers we begin to show honor? We don't have to agree. We can, we can stand and abhor evil, but we need to learn to show honor as we stand. Amen. I love that Renee hit that this morning. All right. Not slothful in zeal. Okay. I'd like to read the message, well, message translation on this. It'd probably be interesting. I don't think that's actually a Bible, but that's just me. So I'm sorry. I've looked at it. I'm like, it's kind of fun, but uh, that does not say, that ain't even close sometimes. So. Anyway, I'm just saying, look, if you, if you get your teaching and theology from the message, I, well, I, I don't know what to say. 
The message would be like, don't be soft on zeal. Get out of your lazy boy and go mow the yard, you know? <laughs> that would be the message, right? Or is that the wife version? I don't know. Like, that's the wife translation of the Bible. Go finish those five projects. You're watching football all day long. Go finish those. Pro I got holes in the wall. I got stuff. And Stacy's like, so she, yeah. So if you want to know, yeah, not slothful in zeal, but the, the actual translation here is, is business or work. So don't be slothful in business or work. And I think about my granddad on this. He, my granddad is a kid. I've said this before when I preach, but he would give us like a silver dollar if we could memorize different verses and sometimes different uh, statements. So there were like 20 of them. And every three months we could earn $20 if we memorized them. My granddad, he knew it. And he had like, I don't know how many grandkids, 15 grandkids. And um, man, we would love to get those silver dollars. And so um, one, of the, one of the things that, that he would say is one of those statements was when I see something that needs to be done, I do it. You know, I still... I memorized that so many times, it's inside of me. I see something that needs to be done, I do it. Now, I don't always do that, but I should, right? Sorry, I don't. But what if, what if as a church, I see something that needs to be done, I do it? What if as a church, we weren't slothful in our zeal, in our business, our work of not just our, fit, our work like out to earn a living, we should be diligent and, and have zeal there. But what if in the church, we were not slothful, and, and we had zeal to do that business or work, what would happen? Amen? What if we were all going, oh, something that needs to be done, I'm going to be the one to do it, right? If we all did that, there would be a lot less for a few people to do, right? Because everything would be taken care of. Every need would be taken care of. Every, everything that we need to do what we do would be taken care of, amen? All right, fervent in spirit. Boil, be fire. You guys get that one. Then it says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. And there's lots of ways to do that. You can serve someone else and serve the Lord. You could serve in the church and serve the Lord. You could be out doing something in some way and serving him in a lot of different ways. So serve the Lord. I would, I would submit to you, your local church is a great place to start serving the Lord. Amen? It's a great place to start serving the Lord. Um, uh, it says to be rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. If you're in trial this morning, be patient. What does that mean? I'm, I'm trusting and I'm waiting on God, and I know that I'm not abandoned. And sometimes that's hard to not feel that way, but let, let your mind be renewed so that even when there's trial, you don't lose your confidence, but you stand patiently no matter what's coming against you, no matter what tribulation is happening, you can stand in that place and, and be patient to wait for God's answer. I don't understand why God doesn't always give an immediate answer. I see a lot of people try to figure that out. I haven't figured it out yet. I, there's things that I don't understand, but I know this, there is a place where my mind gets renewed that I can be patient in the midst of trial or tribulation. Amen. It says to be constant in prayer. Constant. So prayer is not just a prayer meeting. We are to be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We're to be givers and we're to show hospitality to others. And so why does this matter? Why does all of this matter? What, what, what is Paul trying to communicate here? And there's some obvious things, but I want you to see something. I want you to see what is really at stake in this passage because it might not be what you think it is. And I would submit to you that it's actually your worship that is at stake. It's who, it's who and what gets your worship. Let's go back to verse one to understand this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. So he starts with worship, and then he gives us 
not being conformed, but being transformed, and then gives us these different ways, and there are other ways. These are practical ways, and I would submit to you that these, these things are worship to him. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we have made, maybe not we, but just in general, and I think this, in, in a way, we too much think about just uh, singing as worship. We, that's our grid, like, hey, worship was good. Yes, great. The singing worship was good. It was awesome. It's one of my favorite things to do. But worship is not just singing at church. Worship is something that is happening in some way every moment of your life. Amen? And the enemy, Satan, is trying, the prince of the power of the air, is trying to misalign Get you out of alignment so that your worship is affected. And he doesn't have any legal right to do that, but sometimes we invite him in to do that. And he wants to misalign. He wants to get it out of whack. And we're either worshiping God. I want to say this. We either worship God or we worship a derivative of the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, or the passions of the flesh. We are worshiping one of those things. There is no neutral ground. Amen? And what is worship? It's what we serve, submit, and revere. It's what we bow to. It's what we give our lives for. That is worship. And it is possible as believers to have false idols in our lives that we are reverencing, that we are bowing down to, that we are serving. And now, they don't have legal right to be there other than we said, hey, come on in to my living room. Have a seat. I like, I like you right now, but they are destructive. And so it's our worship that's on the line. And we cannot reach the full potential of a worshiper that God wants us to be because he's always increasing worship in us if we are conforming to the world. Amen? And if you, I want to, I want to go to, if you go to verse three, I want, I want to go to, um, back to that, that, it says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So this is the top of that list. And this is talking about pride here. And I want you to understand particularly pride in the context of worship. We need to understand something about the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air, Lucifer, was an angel. Most of you know this, but if you don't, I'm going to repeat it. He was an angel in heaven, and he was actually the worship leader in heaven, and he was considered the most beautiful creature that God had ever created. But he wanted to actually be worshiped. And he tried to ascend above God. He formed a rebellion with a third of the angels of heaven. I find it interesting. Angels have a will and a choice. And so a third of the angels... um, rebel with him, and as a result of that, of course, we know the story. He's defeated. He's cast out with those, those angels. And so <clears throat> I want to read a couple of passages really quickly from Isaiah 14, 12 and Ezekiel 28, 17. There's a, there's a description that's given that is, is believed to be describing this, what happened in, in the heavenly realm. And um, Isaiah 14, 12 says this. They're not gonna, I don't think they're going to put it on the screen, so you can just listen. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And there's a lot more to this, actually, but I just cut it down for time. It says, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the lations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This was Lucifer that it's believed to be speaking of. And then there's another one in Ezekiel 28, 17. It's an allegory of a, uh, of a king but when you read it, you're like, this is, a, this is, most people believe, some people don't, but this is a, a description of the fall of Satan. And it says in verse 17, Ezekiel 28, 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. 
I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. And I want you to see this here. His heart was proud. Pride was the original thing that, where darkness entered in. And Lucifer was no longer Lucifer, but Satan. He became dark. And those angels became dark, those demons. And it says here, this is really interesting here. It says that he corrupt, it says you corrupted your wisdom. You understand, he was connected to the wisdom of God. But by doing this, he corrupted his own wisdom and his mind went dark. He was no longer, and then cast out of heaven, no longer connected of God, completely devoid of a connection with God. And that is who the prince of the power of the air is, who influences the whole world. And his wisdom was corrupted. His mind was darkened. But I want you to see something else here. In verse 18, it says, you profaned your sanctuaries. He profaned his own place of worship. His pride caused him to profane his own says your sanctuaries. He profaned his own sanctuary of worship, his own place of worship. Worship leader in heaven, the most beautiful creature that God had ever created. He profanes that place of worship. He profanes it. And pride corrupts thinking. And it aligns us with when we're in pride, it's aligning us with the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air and the passions of the flesh. And you see, even with Satan, the original sin, what did he tell Adam and Eve? Satan said, you could be like God. He was wanted them to ascend just like he did. It's the same sin. It's the same thing that he's trying to do today. But God tells us, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so mind renewal uncorrupts dark thinking. Mind renewal will undo pride. That if that is there, it profanes the sanctuary of your worship. Those places that keep us from our full potential of completely abandoning our hearts to God and completely worshiping him and completely being obedient to him out of a place of worship, not just out of a place of duty. And living a life that, that worships him. And so, the op, and, and so that's, that's what that being conformed is that corrupt place, but transformation brings humility. And humility, I wanna submit this to you, is our posture of worship. Pride, I want you to think of this, pride will disrupt your worship. If you're operating in pride or you're seeing that in some of your old patterns, it's not who you are. God wants to renew your mind in a way that you are now in a place of humility. Look, we all have probably a measure of pride in some way, in some area. I can say when, I, when I've gotten into that place, it's never been good. It, it is never good but our posture of worship. And so unlike Satan trying to ascend above God, we are worshiping God. We are submitting to God. We are revering God. And so this process that we're in of, of, of not conforming but being transformed, part of that worship is abhorring what is evil. It's serving the Lord. It's loving each other. It's being hospitable. Those are actually acts of worship to God. Those are actually acts of worship to God, and, and Satan wants to profane our sanctuary of worship, our place of worship. But God is calling us to present our bodies as what? A living sacrifice. We are laying our lives down in worship to him. Amen? And I want to say, if if, if this is the only place that you're worshiping, you're, you're not going to be full like you need to be. Amen? If you're waiting for Sunday to roll around so you can worship, you're missing out. 
on the full potential, and this is not condemnation, but you're missing out on the full potential that God has for you. You know, there's been these moments lately, I've just been stopping everything. Put the phone over there. We're not going to turn this on. We're, God, I'm just with you right now, right? I'm just with you right now. God, I love you. I want to worship you right now. I'm getting real with God, amen? That's how he wants us to live. And so we need to present our bodies. So I want to I finish with this. Again, Romans 12, 1. I, Paul said, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, you can put sisters there, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What's on the line? Your worship every day. Your worship. Who are you going to bow to? Who are you going to serve? Prince of the power of the air, your flesh, the world, are you going to serve God? Are you going to worship God? That is the call. And there's no condemnation in this, but if the Holy Spirit is highlighting some areas where your worship of God is being disruptive, you repent, you turn from that, and you turn towards him with your heart, and you say, God, help me. Help me, free me, I submit to you, I give my heart to you, I submit my body as a living sacrifice to you, and I I can say this, God's power will overshadow you, and you will be changed. The thing about mind renewal is he's the only one that can do it. Conforming is something that we can do, but we can't renew ourselves. We can conform, but, but transformation and renewal only God can do. And so, God, I pray for us as a church. God, I pray that our minds would be constantly renewed and that this would be a house of worship that carries out during the week, that we would be worshipers, those that worship you genuinely in in spirit and in truth, God, that we would worship you, that we would love you. And God, this would just be the icing on the cake when we come together. This would would not be even the pinnacle, but it would be the icing on the cake, God, of our worship, that we can do it together. But God, I pray for a worship outbreak. Just lift your hands for one minute. A worship outbreak in this place. A breakout of humility. A breakout of hospitality. A breakout of affection for one another. I pray that worship would break out a love for you, an honoring you, a revering you, a giving our lives completely to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place and in our hearts. And I pray for encounters in our homes. I pray that we would encounter, I pray that we would encounter in greater ways than we've ever encountered in our homes. I pray that we would be drawn in to that place of worship where we just spend hours before the throne honoring Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.